hopefully uh, that would be the case this morning. The uh, message this morning that we're going to talk about is is one that you you probably a lot of you hear me talking about often. Um, I've taken many of you through some marriage counseling. I've taken many of you through uh, couples classes of some sort, and so this morning you're going to hear kind of maybe some of those same things just in different words. We're going to talk about the seven ways to a happy marriage. Our goal today is apply these seven key basic ideas uh, for a happy marriage. A happy marriage is a benefit to the individuals, um, but a happy couple makes for secure children. Also, a happy home makes for a happy, joy-filled church. If there's a lot of happy homes within the church, then there's a happy church. Lots of happy, joy-filled churches in a nation makes for a happy, joyful nation. We've all heard the awful divorce rates, the statistics in this day and age. Selfishness, generalized irresponsibility destroys marriages. But even more sad than that, more sad than a destroyed marriage, is the children that are also caught up in the wake of the selfish act of divorce. Divorce has become a part of American way of life. We no longer deeply believe that two people who have made a choice to marry should necessarily even try to weather the storms that shake any vital, intimate relationship. Instead, we think the answer to a difficult marriage is to try again with someone else. We have a me-first attitude. We think because we've fallen in love with someone that it's acceptable to jump ship and swim Rather, if we've fallen out of love with someone, it's okay to jump ship and and swim for another boat, only to find that the reason that the first marriage wasn't floating was because my own selfishness. That's what was sinking the original relationship to begin with. Couples who separate and divorce end up with deep hurts. When there are children, they suffer the most. The only real reason that we are seeing less divorce rate per capita in this country is because there are less and less people actually getting married. They're just living together, playing house, if you will. And if there are children, these children also suffer just as much than to deal with separated parents. There's little security in a cohabitating home. All these tragedies do not have to happen. They can be prevented. Learning and applying these seven basic concepts will enable a couple to build a happy, stable, and secure home. I know this. I know that that just what we share today cannot fix and and change and make every relationship better. It's It's not what I'm trying to say. And I know that all of you are not married. However, these principles can have a positive effect on any relationship. So don't think that if you're not married that you can just kind of snooze through this one. That you can tap out and say, oh, this one's not for me. I don't have to listen today because this is all about marriage. And I'm not married, so I'm good to go. I'd like to begin by saying that I'm well qualified to teach on this subject. Because my wife and I have have been married for almost 20 years. And in all that time, never had one angry word pass between us. I'd like to begin by saying that, but... I can't. 
So let's get started. Before we do that, let's look to God in word prayer. God, thank you so much for uh, allowing us to be together this morning. I pray that as we look at these ideas and concepts from your word, that we will be able to apply them to our lives. That whether we're in a, a marriage relationship or any relationship that we're in, that we can apply these principles and concepts from your word to our lives directly and allow us to have better quality relationships with each other and better quality relationships with you. God, I pray that you'll bless here this morning. Give us, give us the, the ability, give us the, the strength and energy to tune in to what your word has for us today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, we need to follow God's instruction book for marriage. God's instruction book for marriage. Did he, does he have one of those? Yeah, there is. It's, you, you probably brought it with you this morning. Many people bring their Bibles to church, and I think that's a good thing. God thought up and instituted marriage. Marriage has failed. Did I lose my mic? Okay, we know how to fix it. God thought up and instituted marriage. Marriages fail when people try to live together by their own rules rather than by God's rules. The tragic results are homes break up, lives are shattered. Loyalties of children become divided. Children get bruises that hurt all their lives. Dreams of the bride and groom become nightmares all because a couple ignores the Bible God's word when a family regularly attends church together the divorce rate is 1 in 50 that's 2% there's statistics that say that the divorce rate is up around 50% some say it's closer to 2% either way when a family regularly attends church together, the divorce rate is 1 in 50. That's only 2%. When both partners have been born-again believers and faithfully follow God's guidelines for life and marriage, divorce rate is 1 in 1,500. Therefore, a godly Christian has a 700 times better chance of success in marriage than an unbeliever. Why? Because by following God's instructions in His Word, we can succeed. By ignoring God's ways, tragedy results. For success in any area of life, read and follow these instructions. So to improve your chances by 700 times, what do you need to do? Well, number one, you need to get a relationship with God. Get a relationship with Jesus Christ. Baptize Bury them old selfish ways. Give, get your sins washed away and come up a new person with a clean slate. Commit yourself personally to doing what's right. Read and study your Bible. Not just on your own, but with your spouse and with your family. Be active and attend every service in a Christ-centered, Bible-believing church, whether it's convenient or not. Sometimes it's not so convenient. I understand. There you'll hear God's principles for living explained. 
You'll be challenged to apply them. Look for opportunities to serve God together. That makes you others-centered rather than being me-centered. Stable marriages are successful marriages. So number one, we need to follow God's instruction books. Number two, we need to reaffirm your marriage as a permanent commitment and an unbreakable union. In the marriage vows, you promise for better, for worse, till death doeth part, do us part. This is a Bible-based. Today, people see it merely as a ritual, but God sees it differently. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6 says, So there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Because people take their commitment very lightly, many marriages break up for immature and silly reasons. Then the unresolved problems, hurts, and conflicts from their first marriage often prevent a second or a third from really being successful. God wants to bless your marriage and use you to bless each other, your children, and others. To give stability to your marriage and security to your spouse, commit yourself now to stay married forever, no matter what. Then tell the children of this commitment if they're old enough to understand. But you know what? Even if they're not old enough to understand, if they can see mom and dad are secure, they find great security in that. They see their friends divorcing left and right. Their friends' parents divorcing left and right. If they know mom and dad are staying together, it provides great security. It will also build their foundation, their attitude for their marriage in the future. A legacy is built. Look at your marriage as a permanent commitment. Number three, we've got to realize that marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. Every, each partner must fulfill his or her responsibilities 100%, whether the other one does or not. Vows, if seriously taken, can, can keep a marriage together, but vows will not build a happy home. A home which is both secure and happy must be built on a real understanding of what makes marriage successful. This slogan that the world came up with, marriage is a 50-50 deal. I've heard it frequently. It sounds logical. However, the logic behind it destroys many marriages. The basis of a 50-50 marriage is if you will do your part, then I will do mine. It leads to tragedy because there are times in every marriage when someone fails. And in a 50-50 marriage, this causes the other partner to step back and refuse to do his or her 50%. Then the battle rages. 50-50 marriage is not God's way. The husband and wife who start out marriage a 50-50 basis will always be checking to see if the partner is fulfilling his or her 50%. When one partner falls short, bitterness results. And that partner who feels cheated will withhold some of his 50% in attempt to even the score. Things get worse. Even a 90-10 marriage won't work because the partner who's willing to give 90 will have a tendency to check to see if the partner who's giving 10% is really doing their part. God's way in marriage is 100%, 100%. Each partner is expected to give his or her, her own 100%, even if the other partner fails completely. If only one partner in the marriage is faithfully gives his or her 100%, the home cannot be destroyed. 
God uses right actions and attitudes of the faithful one to straighten out and strengthen, restore the failing partner. God's instructions for 100%, 100% marriage are found in Ephesians chapter 5, 18 through 33. Both husband and wife have different instructions and responsibilities assigned to them. You can look it up if you want. We're just going to highlight a few things from this passage. For wives, what do we look for? Well, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Note, it, it does not add if, if he does right and fulfills his responsibilities. A wife should not nag, complain, lecture, or teach her husband. She will win him to Christ by her behavior. When a man fails to be what he should be in marriage, God deals with him. Too often the man does not hear the Lord or feel the Lord's pressure because he hears his wife too much and feels her pressure too much. Let God do his work. You do yours. Praise and respect your husband. Guys, God wants to be head of the home. This does not mean that the wife is inferior, but under authority. It is not a position of inferiority. Jesus, of, Jesus is God and is equal with the Father at all times. Yet, in coming to the earth as a man and dying for us, he submitted himself to his Father in all things. Love your wife enough to die for her. God, after telling wives to submit, severely limits the man's rights to do anything that he pleases. God takes away man's right to use his authority irresponsibly by telling him, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Seeing Christ's love transform our hearts brings us to love him. A husband's patient, long-suffering love will win his wife's heart and change her behavior. Christ does not cleanse and perfect us by beating on us. He uses his word. Guys, listen really closely. Jesus never said, love your job like I have loved your job. Jesus never said, love the church like I have loved the church. Jesus said, love your wife like I have loved the church. God has no 50-50 marriage arrangements. Each partner is called on to fulfill his or her 100% even if the other does nothing. Marriage is not a 50-50 deal. Next, we recognize that our mate has distinctive personal needs. He's a man or she's a woman, and you're the opposite. These needs can be truly satisfied without guilt, only in a marriage relationship. We meet each other's needs. If we do not, then the security and stability of the home will be endangered. Both husband and wife have different but real needs. What's one big reason marriages break up? Well, when somebody else outside the marriage begins to meet the emotional needs of the other, when this happens, the spouse is drawn almost irresistibly to that outsider. Then comes divorce. Many fine people get caught in the trap 
without realizing why. They do not understand that a strong attraction they feel for someone other than their partner is just the result of that other person's meeting an emotional need, which should be fulfilled by the marriage partner. When two people are meeting one another's basic emotional needs, there's a strong and growing desire for a healthy physical relationship. Recognizing our basic emotional need and seeing that it can be fulfilled without guilt only within a marriage relationship is vital protection against tragedy. What are these basic emotional needs by a husband and a wife? Ephesians 5.33 says, But let each one of you, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. Meet the needs of the other. What does a wife need? A wife needs love. She needs to hear it verbally, to hear that she is loved. Guys, I know this is going to be a really big challenge for you. But I want you to apply these things, not sometime this week, not even sometime today. I want you to apply them right now. I want each of you men right now to turn to your wife and tell her you love her. I love you. That's the word. I love you. (laughs) Girls need to hear it. Wives need to hear that. They need to hear it verbally. Natalie, you missed out. When Greg, when, if Greg doesn't whisper something in your ear, I want you to flag me in just a few (laughs) seconds, okay? What does a wife need? She needs to hear that she is loved. To receive regular evidence and reassurance of her husband's love. The thrill of little gifts. Remembering important dates and events. Tokens of love. She needs to feel protection. She needs to feel security. Sometimes even just as simple as home maintenance. It shows a wife love. What does a husband need? He needs to be honored and respected. To know that his wife really thinks that he is the greatest. To be assured of her respect, especially when he fails in some way. To know that his wife is dependent on him, just as the church is dependent on Christ. Ladies, tune in. A self-sufficient woman is a lonely woman. Guys need to know that you depend on them. When a husband and wife do not recognize and work to meet the needs of their partners, tragedy is around the corner. Let me give you an example. A man is on the job, is a competent, and is accomplished in his assignments. He's polite, courteous, and appreciative uh, of the help of others. Will find a woman, especially if she works for him, respecting him. Because the woman is meeting his need for respect, he will be drawn to her. He will start desiring to meet her needs. Soon he will compare the respect of the woman on the job with the nagging of his wife. 
The woman at the office or in the plant does not know that he does not take out the garbage at home. And he, she does not know that, that he leaves his dirty socks and underwear on the bathroom floor. The woman on the job will not point out his faults like his wife does. The woman on the job is, the, is in danger also. She has not realized that this very competent, appreciative man at work has all the shortcomings of her own husband. In the casual relationship at work, or wherever, these two people do not have to share unpaid bills, sick children, the need for a new washer or a second car. Without realizing soon, they find themselves meeting one another's basic needs. The man at work will be supplying the attention and kindness the woman needs. She will be giving the man the respect that he desires. Where two people are meeting these very basic needs for love and respect, the desire for a complete physical relationship becomes overpowering. Soon, there is another broken relationship. If someone were to come up to you and tell you, that your spouse was meeting another person's emotional needs. Put yourself in that spot. I feel pretty confident about John and Sarah's relationship today, so I'm going to use them as an example. Sarah, you're pretty confident in John's love for you. John, you're pretty confident in Sarah's love for you. Okay, I'm going to use you John, what would you say if someone came up to you and said that there was another man meeting Sarah's emotional needs? How would that make you feel? <laughs> well, my first response, I wouldn't believe one. I'll talk to her about this. I, I can't see that. But that is a, a immediately your heart does something, it does some flip-flops. Your brain starts going crazy. Immediately, that's not, it's not okay. It just doesn't fit right. It doesn't sit right. And it doesn't matter what relationship we're talking about. This could be a coworker to coworker. If someone else is meeting those needs, if someone else is taking care of that person you're supposed to be taking care of, there's a problem. And it doesn't sit right. But it's happening all the time. Recognizing our own basic need for praise and respect for guys or love and attention for the women, it is important safeguard against slipping into a relationship where these needs are being met outside the marriage. Well, she knows that I love her. She knows that I care about her. Well, does she? Have you told her lately? Well, he knows that I respect him, and he knows that when I talk to him about his, his underwear on the bathroom floor, he knows that I'm just kidding. He knows that, that the drippy faucet and me talking to him every, every five seconds about fixing it, he knows that it's just something that I'd like to have done. Or does he view it as nagging and disrespectful? The uniqueness of needs in each individual person goes far beyond the things that we've just mentioned. But these are a good start. We need to recognize our mate's distinctive personal needs. And this next one, number five, goes right along with it. 
We need to make it our life's goal to meet the needs of our partner, of our spouse, whoever's on the other side of this relationship. What is it that I need to do for them? What role can I fulfill? What thing can I do to make them feel deeply loved? These needs are just as real and deeply felt as yours. Husbands cannot know their own experience from their own experience how much wives need to be loved. They cannot really understand how wives need regular assurance and evidence of that love. Wives from their own experience cannot comprehend how their husbands need praise and respect. The only way a husband and wife will ever come to realize that their partner has a real and deeply felt need is to recognize his or own personal needs. The husband, by seeing and admitting how much he needs praise and respect from his wife, then the husband is able to be and, and prepared and under, understands that his wife has also a very real, deep felt need. On the other side, wives, the only way a wife can really experience, feel, or share the great need her husband has to be praised and respected is to recognize her own deep hunger for love and assurance of it. When they see their own needs, then they're prepared to realize the partner's need, while different, is just as deep and just as real. Recognizing our own emotional needs and seeing that our partner also has needs which are real and deeply felt will bring us the willingness to give ourselves to meeting their needs. Luke chapter 6, look at it with me. Verse 38. It says, give and you will receive. You will be given much, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. When I read this verse, I immediately think of of monetary things and financial things. But this principle applies in every area of life. If we give love, we will get love. If we help, we will get help. If we give encouragement, we will get encouragement. If we give forgiveness, we will get forgiveness if we give a smile we will get a smile the opposite is true if we give hate and bitterness cynicism spite we'll get that same in return so think about it when we give ourselves to meeting the needs of others we find that others begin to meet our needs When both partners satisfy the other needs, they become more and more important to each other. Every part of the relationship blossoms and becomes more fruitful. Meeting the needs of our spouse is a great way to remove any wedge of discontentment. Number six, we need to deal with conflict God's way. God hates divorce. And without dealing with conflict God's way, marriages often end in divorce. Conflict and friction obviously are, are inevitable in a relationship. What's the solution? God recognized the danger. He knew it was there. He knew it could happen in any relationship. Two places in the Gospel of Matthew, Lord Jesus gives procedures and assigns responsibilities through which all wrongs and hurts can be healed. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15 says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. 
If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Going to that person who has offended you with a proper attitude is a key to seeing a different, a different result. No matter what someone else has done, no matter uh, how, how wrong it was, no matter how irritated or, or frustrated or angry, the proper way to approach a person who has offended us is to go quietly and say, you know what? I need to ask for your forgiveness. I got very upset with you because of this or that or the other thing. It was wrong for me to react this way. Will you forgive me? 99 situations out of 100, the other person will also, in kind, do the same. The other person will not only grant forgiveness, but also seek forgiveness for his or her own wrongdoing. Defender may or may not acknowledge his own wrongdoing immediately. But God works on him. God can take care of that. Taking the blame in this way without looking for the wrongs of the other party is God's way of reconciliation. Jesus Christ is seeking to restore fellowship between God and man. He took upon himself everything which separated us from God. He took all of man's sin and shame and guilt. Once he took our sin, we were made free to come back to him. Our union with him was renewed. He is our pattern. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 says, Instead be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. How did the Lord forgive you? talked about it last week Christ had done no wrong yet he took all our guilt blame, shame, punishment and for this reason we were freed to be with him again we should be willing to do the same for others and particularly for our marriage partner when we truly forgive we must put ourselves in a place where we can be hurt again Jesus said this when he was talking to the crowd on the mountain. Instead of getting even eye for eye, tooth for tooth, he said we should turn the other cheek. In other words, expose ourselves to being hurt again. We have the same obligation when we realize that someone, including our husband or wife, feels wronged by us. If we realize or sense that we have offended someone, we should go and get it settled. The surest way to settle any difference, to eliminate the conflict correctly, is by using God's way of reconciliation. Once forgiveness is granted, the foundation is laid for restored communication, for openness in a relationship. Without it, even the little differences, even the silly, stupid differences, can cause the other to erect walls between their spouses, between others in a relationship, and in effect, one or both partners put away the other. Even if no divorce results immediately or long term, one or two things happens. The home may become an armed camp. It's a cold war, in a sense, right? Where there are only a few open battles, but the relationship becomes distant becomes a coexisting at that point. There's no real oneness. There's no real blessings from the marriage. 
To avoid this tragedy, marriage partners should really commit themselves to resolving differences in God's way rather than just getting over them. Well, just get over it. It doesn't work in a relationship, does it? And last but not least, learn to trust one another completely. A stable marriage must be based on trust. A person can be trusted as he or she can trust the other completely. There must be trust to forgive. There must be trust to go on when the other person has failed. The alternatives to trust are are jealousy, suspicion, protective walls to hide behind. Trust is vital to any relationship and especially a marriage. Trust can be established only when there is truth and transparency in a relationship. I call them the three T's. Truth, transparency, and trust. And in that order, trust will not be built if the other two don't exist. Husbands must be able to trust their wives. Proverbs 31, 10 and 11, it says it's hard to find a good wife because she's worth more than rubies. Her husband trusts her completely. With her, he has everything he needs. Wives also must be able to trust their husbands. Only with trust can a woman of God obey him when he says in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, yield to your husband as to the Lord. Trusting God and our partner can be based on feeling of, or, or what is likely to happen is, is things just kind of fall apart if we can't trust our relationship. Not only with our spouse, but also with God. Trust is the result of a decision that we act on. Accepting and consistently applying these seven basic principles, these seven basic prerequisites will help build a stable, secure home. Husbands and wives should study and memorize these foundational concepts. Whenever you feel a relationship is out of whack, check this list. Come back to this list. Well, what's going on here? Out of these seven, which ones am I failing to participate in? Any relationship that you have with a, a, a spouse, a mom, a dad, a, a child, come back and check this list. Am I following God's instruction book? Am I, am I reaffirming this relationship with a permanent commitment? Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm committed to this relationship. Am I understanding that this relationship, this marriage is not a 50-50 proposition? I'm giving 100% all of the time. We need to recognize our mate's distinctive personal needs. We make it our life's goal to meet those needs of whoever is on the other side of that relationship. We need to deal with conflict God's way. Learn to forgive the way God wants us to forgive. And lastly, learn to trust one another completely. God's word is the way to find stability in the home and in relationships. We need to learn it. We need to study it. We need to obey it. Take these things. Add them to the list. Add them to the thoughts. Add them to the actions that you take on a daily basis. You won't be sorry you did. It's only going to result in more happiness and more joy and more appreciation for the other. Thank you for sharing time with us this morning. And I hope that there's a few things that we've been able to share. Maybe something in one of these 
some of these seven things that, that we've shared that can bless your life, can help you.